Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. On today's show, we're talking about how rising real estate prices can kill a rental market, but also create an opportunity for new products in the market that might defy conventional wisdom. There's no question that many folks have struggled in the past year with changes that have taken place in the market. Some have lost their employment. The incredibly low inventory of single-family homes has seen prices shoot up across many markets. This is particularly true at the entry level of the market, where first-time home buyers are bidding up the price of entry-level homes in order to overcome the fear of missing out on home ownership altogether, as prices increase out of reach of some buyers. Many growing markets are also experiencing a shortage of rental housing, but some of these homes are simply too expensive to put in the rental market. Construction prices are up almost 20% this year. Homes for sale in some markets have increased an average of 11% across the nation, but in some markets much more. For example, in my home market of Ottawa, Canada, prices have risen by an average of 35.2% this year over last. We've also seen an average of 24 days of inventory in the market. That's incredibly low. While sale prices have increased by 35%, rents have not. In fact, the turnover in rental accommodations is only a small percentage of existing leases. And if there's upward pressure on rents and government-mandated rent controls, it makes it very difficult for rents to increase in step with the asset price inflation. So there's a financial incentive for owners to remove rental stock from the market and move it into the owner-occupied segment of the market, basically selling the properties. If they can get a financial win simply by listing their property on the market for sale, as soon as that happens, there's one less property for rent in the market, which reduces vacancy. That lower supply pushes prices up for rental homes, and I guess a new equilibrium is found. But in some ways, there is no new equilibrium to be had. That's because the numbers don't support creation of new rental housing stock at these relatively low rents. Given the choice of building a rental building or a condo building, the economics don't support a rental building. Given the choice between renovating a home for rent or renovating a home for sale, the economics only support selling rather than renting. So you might guess that rents will rise to the point where eventually there'll be enough rental properties at market rates, but that day rarely if ever arrives. So how do I make these outlandish conclusions? It's because I spent a large percentage of my week reviewing financial models with my team. We're constantly evaluating opportunities for properties across our desk. And when the purchase price rises above a threshold, then creating new rental product makes no sense at all. For those who have a strong existing rental product in the market, the falling supply and the rising rents are a great opportunity for them. But the lack of mobility in the market means that tenants don't move. If they do move, they get priced out of the market. So in an environment of falling supply, the landlords get blamed for not producing enough supply of affordable housing. Rent controls get implemented, which means landlords don't have enough income to properly maintain the properties. Tenant groups then band together to advocate for better rental accommodations, which brings more regulatory oversight into the rental market. Those few amateur landlords who see the lack of rental housing attempt to convert housing to rentals. Again, the economics don't support a rental because they were too expensive to purchase compared with the rent collected. The landlords experience negative cash flow, and these new landlords don't invest enough in maintenance of their properties, causing these properties to fall into disrepair. Developers respond by trying to build affordable units. They do this by creating studio apartments of smaller and smaller footprints. Some recent designs I've seen are only 350 square feet. That's not much larger than the cabin on a cruise ship. The net result is that most successful developers look for the combination of demand in the market combined with the affordability in that market segment. 
Even the homeowners who would like to sell are saying that they can't sell because they have no place to go. So if you have a client with a four-bedroom house in the core of the city and they still want to live in the same area, how do they cash out of their existing home and move into something smaller, but not something so small that they can't live their lifestyle? Someone downsizing from a 3,000 square foot home is not likely to move into a 700 square foot apartment where the bedrooms are 10 feet or less in size. You can't even fit a dresser in the room with a queen size bed. So for that specific client, the condos need to be at least 900 square feet and in many cases, ideally 13 to 1700 square feet. That's counterintuitive. But for this particular buyer, they can afford the larger units because they're downsizing from a much larger house. This is the case where shifting market dynamics are creating demand for new types of product that didn't exist in the marketplace before. As you think about that, have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.